And my name is Lesejo, and I have the privilege of serving the body of Christ through Fellowship City. And in this particular morning, the privilege of opening God's word for us as we continue in our series titled A Fellowship City. This is the first, this is the fifth installment um, in our series. And through this series, we are casting vision and we're inspiring people into action and obedience to God's word. We are doing so by identifying what a particular keyword means to the individuals, what that particular keyword means to the church as well, as we try to reach the city, reach the city for God. So five weeks ago, we started with grace. So Fellowship City nurtures grace. Then Reino taught us about Christ-likeness. And then we entered a sort of a mini-series with um, Reino teaching us through empathy, um, specifically through a time uh, in the country where we were looking at COVID numbers rising, we were seeing looting, and we were seeing such a tough period of time for us all. Uh, Reino taught us through empathy. And to end off that mini-series, within the series, Morandeni took us through people first last week. And this week, we're looking at truth. A fellowship city nurtures truth. Let me pray for us as we get ready to get into God's word. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for another opportunity for us together, together as your people, to praise and worship you and to hear from you through your word. I pray that this morning that you would open up our hearts, that our hearts would be ready to hear from you, that you would begin and continue the change that you would uh, continue to perform in us as you conform us more and more to the likeness of Christ. I pray against any distractions uh, this morning, and I pray that we will be focused to meet you and encounter you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at truth. A fellowship city nurtures truth. In a moment, I'm going to set the geography of our time together. But before I do that, let me read a verse from John 18. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? So this is the scene of this text, of how this text is unfolding. This is Jesus speaking to Pilate after he was already arrested. He was betrayed as well by Judas. Um, during this moment when Jesus is being captured by soldiers and officials um, from the chief priest, Simon Peter throws out his sword. He cuts the ear of one of the individuals who was sent by uh, the chief priest. And Jesus diffuses the situation, knowing what was to happen as fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is taken to Ananas, then first then, and then ultimately to Pilate. Um, then we read verses 37, as I just read it for us. Pilate is talking to Jesus after he, he has sent for Jesus to be brought to him. So Pilate sends for Jesus to be brought to him. And the word of God reads, as I just said, you are king, then Pilate asked. You say that I'm king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is 
of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? So this is what we will be grappling with this morning. We're going to answer Pilate's question. What is, what is truth? We're going to answer that. We're going to double-click the word truth. And we're going to unpack what John 18, as well as a few other scriptures in John, what they say about truth. We're going to unpack what they say about truth. And then we're going to understand what truth means for the individual and understand what truth means for the church. So when we understand what truth means for the, for the individual, when we understand the implications, then we know what it means for the individual and then the implications for the church and how the implications for the individual and the church intertwine. So what is truth? I think it is important to look at what truth is not as we also try and understand what truth is. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Truth can hurt. And one truth is Arsenal is a middle table team now. That is truth. And it doesn't make you feel good. Or truth can be bad news like Bafana Bafana will not win a World Cup. That is truth. It, it's not what makes people feel good, but it is true. And I still hold out hope for the Proteas. I think a World Cup can still happen there. Truth is not only what is understandable. A mob of people can tell you that pineapple belongs on pizza. A mob of people can tell you this. Or that Android phones are better than Apple phones. But the explanation or understanding may not be based on the truth. So truth is not only what is understandable or only what can be explained. Truth is simply not what works. So lies can appear to work, but they're still lies and not the truth. We saw this image from Murendeni last week. And a dishwasher will not solve your hate for dishes. Truth is simply not what works. Truth is simply not what the majority says. Like the majority would say that chocolate cake is the best cake. But chocolate cake is not the best cake. Likely sits in third behind vanilla and red velvet. So truth is not simply what the majority says. Truth is also not defined by intention. Good intentions don't make a lie the truth. Like apologizing for squeezing the toothpaste in the middle when you know you want that quick squeeze to brush your teeth. Or apologizing for wearing different socks when you know you like that different feeling on your feet. So truth is not defined by intentions. Good intentions don't make a lie the truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not subjective, like saying the best burger is found at Burger King or McDonald's. The objective answer would be Rocco Mamas. 
So truth is not subjective. Truth is not relative. Meaning it's true for one person and not true for one, for another. Truth is not relative, meaning it's true for one person and not another. Saying a square is round doesn't make it a relative truth. There are no round squares. No matter how hard you try, one plus one can't directly equal 11. It can't be a relative truth. We know it to be two. Okay, now we understand what the word truth isn't. So what is it? The Greek word for truth is aletheia, which means to unhide or hide, to, to hide nothing. This infers that truth is always there. There is truth available for all to see. Not all may understand this truth. So not all may understand it, but it is there and it is available for all to see. It infers that nothing is hidden or nothing is obscure. That's what that translation of the word truth in the Greek aletheia means. So simply, truth is telling it like it is and any other viewpoint is wrong. Telling it like it is and any other viewpoint is wrong. So we have grappled a little with the word truth itself and we understood a little about what it's not. And from the Greek translation, what truth means, which is to unhide or hide nothing. Let's spend some time understanding what John 18 and a few other passages in John say about the truth. Let's start with John 18. And we just read this. It reads as follows. You are a king then, Pilate asks. You say that I'm king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, Plate said. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. This is what Jesus says. So there is a truth that everyone needs to know. There is a truth that everyone needs to know. And we see this in verse 37. There is a truth that everyone needs to know. Jesus came so that he can testify to this truth, so that he can give evidence to this truth. Let's look at the passage that Kari just read for us. John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men that shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. So who is the word? Who is the word that's referred here? We've seen word referred a, a few times. And John tells us who the word is. John tells us the word is Jesus. And we see that a few verses later. John 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's who the word is. Jesus is the word. The word is Jesus Christ. He is the word. He is God who dwelt among us. 
He was with God and all things were created through him. He is the light. We saw that in verses one to five as well, multiple times. He is the light. John refers to the light again in chapter 12, verse 46 to 47. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. To bring light to the darkness that is in the world. Those who believe in him will be in the light. This passage is related again to a very well-known verse. John 3 Verse 17, a well-known verse, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is transformative. Jesus Christ, who being God, came as man to live among us, his people, to bring them hope, to bring them light in showing them the right way, to be the word personified as part of fulfillment of scripture. These passages affirm that Jesus Christ came to the world. These passages affirm that he is God. These passages affirm that he is light and he is the word. Why does John refer to him as the word? I think it's because the words of Jesus that we see in the Bible are the truth of God. The words of Jesus that we see in the Bible are the truth of God. And the person of Jesus is the truth of God. This is because the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Old Testament speaks about it. It points to Jesus coming. The New Testament brings the person of the Old Testament alive in that we see him walking off the pages of scripture. We see him performing signs and miracles and wonders. We see him confronting sin. We see him teaching and pointing back to God. And we see him defeating death. We read verse five, the darkness did not overcome him. That's what we saw in verse five. John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus speaking the gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Parts of words that Christina sang for us as we're singing one way. Jesus is truth personified. Truth is also a person. He grants life. He is the only way to life. Christ alone is truth. Christ alone. No one can fix the relationship with God. We are born bound by sin. We are born slaves to sin. But Jesus, who is truth, who is life, gives us grace and undeserved favor. We should have faced the full wrath of God, but he shows us mercy. The claim that truth personif- that Jesus is truth personified is a huge claim. The truth that Jesus is truth personified is huge. How can truth be a person? But Jesus backs this claim up. Romans 1 to 4 says, and he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus Christ our Lord. He brings alive fulfillment of scripture. He brings alive the words of the Old Testament. That is how he's truth personified. That is how this claim, this huge claim is true. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are central to this claim. Without his death and resurrection, there is no faith. Darkness overcomes him, but it doesn't. He died and in three days he rebuilt the temple. This is amazing. He, he validates the claim that he is truth. He validates this to be objective truth, not subjective, not simply what works, or what makes people feel good. It is the actual truth. Jesus fulfills scripture. He came as a man to quench the wrath of God because he is God. He came as a man to make us right with God. He came to restore our broken relationship with God. He restores this relationship. He does this by fulfilling scripture in living, dying, and being resurrected. We know that he's also coming back. We know we will be reunited with him. What a glorious day this will be. So some words from one of my favorite songs um, says, there's a day that all creation's waiting for, a day of freedom and liberation from the earth. And on that day, the Lord will come to meet his bride. And when we see him in an instant, we'll be changed. We'll be changed. We'll be like him. It says we will meet him in the air and then we will be like him. We'll be with, like him with restored new bodies. We'll be like him. For we will see him as he is. Then all hurt and pain will cease and we'll be with him forever. And in his glory, we will live. In his glory, we will live. So what do we do with this truth? What does this truth mean for the individual? What does this truth mean for the church? How do we nurture this truth? Do we only like this truth when it's abstract and it doesn't require us to change? I think we see that this truth brings about a change if it has penetrated the heart. I think it brings about change if it's penetrated the heart. We've seen that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to the Father except through him. This truth brings a change if it has penetrated the heart. We can no longer ignore the light. The truth is to change how we relate to our spouses, to our kids, to how we relate to family, how we relate to our neighbors, how we relate to strangers. Whether they know this truth or not, it changes how we relate with people. It changes how we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we use our talents, the way we do business or earn a living, the way we spend our free time. If we don't know Jesus, as Lord and Savior, if we don't know him as truth and light, if we don't trust in him because of his death and resurrection for us, we should be worried. John 3 verse 17, the latter part says, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So if you don't believe in him, then you will face his just wrath. We will face eternity in hell if we do not believe in him. But there is hope. 
Jesus is the hope. His blood and righteousness is our hope. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to bring us into the light. For he's the light. If this is you, if you feel Jesus tugging at your heartstrings, please reach out to Community Fellowship City and there'll be someone there willing to engage with you and tell you more about this Jesus. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you know him as truth, then we need to live this truth. We need to live this truth if this is true. If the truth has penetrated our hearts, there will be a change. I've mentioned this before, but it's such an important and timely application point. A study conducted by the Center of Bible Engagement had a profound observation. So this study was conducted through interviewing 40,000 people. And the Center of Bible Engagement was studying something else, but then they came to this finding. They came to this conclusion or this outcome. And this outcome has a profound life-changing impact, if you understand this outcome. It's got a profound life-changing impact. We are trying to understand if this truth, the truth of Jesus, changes anything. If we have come to understand that Jesus is truth and he is light and he is word. So if we spend time reading our Bibles, getting to know Jesus better, we enable the Holy Spirit to shine into the darkness and start conforming us to the likeness of Christ. If we read our Bibles, we get to understand and know who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Here's some of the stats that came out of the study to show the kind of life-changing impact reading our Bibles can have. One outcome of the study was that reading your Bible once a week or listening to an audio Bible or listening to uh, reading or listening to an audio Bible once a week had no effect, had no effect. So tuning in on a Sunday and listening to Reino preach or reading your Bible once a week had no effect. And this makes sense. You can imagine if you only spend a few minutes a week with your loved ones, with your wife or with your kids, you won't grow in love and understanding for them. You won't grow in love and understanding toward them. Okay, so the next outcome was that if you read your Bible three times a week, then, then there's a change. Then there's something that starts to happen. Something starts to happen, okay? But here's the real change. Here's the big change. So if you read your Bible or listen to an audio Bible four times a week, there's a real life change. Like, like it would be if you spend a large amount of time quality time with your spouse, with your kids, with your loved ones, with your neighbors. If you, then you start to, 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 to develop an understanding and a love and appreciation for the people. So the study said, if you do it four times a week, so you read your Bible and listen to audio Bible four times a week, there is real change. And, and it looks like this. So loneliness drops by 30%. 30% drop in loneliness. Anger drops by 32%. And this means your ability to get angry drops by 32%. You're less likely to get angry 32% of the time. Hmm. Bitterness in relationships. This is in marriages, relationships with family, at work. Related conflict in relationships drops by 40%. If you're spending four or more, four, four more times a week reading or listening to an audio Bible, and this starts to speak into how we relate and testify about Jesus to others, 
how we relate to others. We begin to see and relate differently if we're reading four times. We're less judgmental and more loving. So alcoholism drops by 57%. Then feeling spiritually stagnant, feeling like you're not growing, drops by 60%. Pornography drops by more than 61%. More than 61%. Sex outside of marriage drops by 68%. So if we nurture truth as individuals, then we have Christ who is truth at the center of who we are. That is how we get to know him more. That is how we, we know him through, know him as light. As a spirit of truth changes us and makes us more and more like Christ. If we spend that time in our Bibles, if we spend time engaging, we get to know him more. And the Holy Spirit starts to change us. The spirit of truth shows us where the darkness is. And here's three positives quickly that came out of the study. So there's an increase in sharing your faith, 200%. Think of being light and sharing truth where Christ has has placed us, 200%. Uh, Making disciples increases by 230%. Think of the Great Commission. Memorizing scripture increases by 407%, which will be true, because if you're spending that amount of time in scripture, you're going to memorize it. And when you're faced with challenges, you're reminded by scripture. I know this is hard. I know this is hard. We've got busy schedules. And, uh, but have you at least asked someone to hold you accountable to reading if you are struggling with this? Have you brought this into prayer? Have you brought this into the light? Have you asked for prayer? This is where it needs to start. We need to have a gospel. We need to be a gospel-centered people. We need to read our Bibles. It teaches about Jesus. It teaches us about Jesus. And it teaches us about the truth of Jesus. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to be light. Reading the Bible enables the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. John 15, 26 says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is our counselor, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, continually pointing to the cross of Jesus, continually pointing us to the truth of our nature and encouraging us to be more and more like Christ. If we believe in Jesus Christ, then we will have the Holy Spirit dwell in us. That's what the scripture says. And there's a difference between dwelling and just living in a place. So when, when someone dwells, They mind what the walls look like. They mind what the inside of the house looks like. They mind what that space and the environment feels like. And they change it to suit themselves. So the Holy Spirit will point out the bed and remove it and replace it with more Christ-likeness. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Verse 26 also says the Holy Spirit testifies. We will also testify. That's what we should be. The individual needs to testify to the truth. That's the impact of, of, of this truth. We need to testify to the truth. The truth that Jesus loves us and he died for us so that we can have life through him. He is the only way to God, Christ alone. The only way to fix the, the perfect relationship we were made to have with God is through Jesus Christ. Acts 4 verses 20 says, for we are unable to stop 
speaking about what we have seen and heard. And this is Peter and John who are saying they cannot stop testifying about this truth that they've heard because there's been a, a penetrating change in their hearts. Are we testifying about the truth? When uncles or aunts, when brothers, sisters or cousins live without Jesus Christ at the center, are we pointing them to Christ? When they live with Christ plus ancestors or Christ plus other religions, are we pointing them to Christ and Christ alone? Do we have friends or colleagues that don't know Christ as the truth? What are we doing about this? Are we also changed to the point of being unable to stop speaking about Christ? Do we point to Christ alone as truth, light, and salvation? John 18, verse 38, which we've read a few times, says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. His voice calls us to be light. If we listen to his voice, he calls us to be light, to be salt and light, to be disciple makers, to love one another. Can we say we love others if we don't point them to Christ? when we know they're destined for eternal separation? Can we say we love others if we don't show them the light? John 1, 1 to 5 speaks about light shining through the darkness. Do we live in this truth? Do we have a truth-telling culture? The way of Christian living is to live in truth. It's to live in the light. Do we lie? Do we view omission as a relative truth? Do we have little white lies about the use of our hands and feet, and minds, and resources. Well, Revelations 21, 78 says, he who conquers shall have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, for fornicators, for sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This isn't easy. When your line manager asks you to make changes to reports or to lie about your work, or the shop assistant asks you to ask to reduce your cost in a form so that they can receive appreciation in the form of kickbacks. This isn't easy when you disagree with your wife or with your spouse, and when you are rejected, hurt, or confused and want to find satisfaction in, in porn or fornication. This is where we need to be reminded of the truth where we need the community to speak truth to us. And again, if we're rooted in the Bible, if we're spending large amounts of time in the Bible, it becomes easier to remember those scriptures to help us and remind us of the truth. But community also has a a part to play. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. His voice calls us to be in community. That's the part that community has, to love one another, If we're letting our brothers and sisters walk in the darkness, can we say we love them? Living in the light doesn't mean we won't fall or sin. It means that we are not in habitual sin. When we sin, we repent. We find our sin repulsive and we return to God. We turn away from it. We confess. And and real confession is at the heart of biblical change. So the real confession is at the heart of biblical change. We confess, we bring it to God, and and we bring it to the community. So the community can hold us accountable. It can walk with us. So living in the light doesn't mean we won't fall or sin. It means we're not in habitual sin. When we sin, we repent and we come back to God. We come back to community. Because if we don't, 
if we don't come back to God and come back to community, then we're alienating ourselves and we're moving ourselves further away from God and from community. So it doesn't matter what, what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you, you have. He loves us and he's already forgiven us for it. Sometimes living in the, in the light or nurturing truth is, is, is bringing that struggle to the community and saying, love me. So that you can walk in the truth together. We can help one another. We can speak truth to one another. We can point each other to the cross. It doesn't matter what it is. We confess it and we bring it to the light. If we don't bring it to the light, it will consume us. And it will drive us away from God and from one another. So what does this look like for the church? We've looked at what are the what does uh, nurturing truth look like for the individual? What does it look like for the church? So a church that nurtures truth teaches from the Bible. They are led by God in everything they do directly from the pages of scripture. They teach and testify about the perfect birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus Christ. The church is not afraid to apply biblical truth to any issues that are in the community. They're not afraid to apply biblical truth because the church should be the light that shines in the darkness. That is why. So if there's any gender-based violence, racism, farm murders, or fear that, have, that, has, that we've experienced lately as a nation, thinking of COVID and looting, we let people breathe and we let people express themselves. Then we bring biblical truth into it because truth heals and truth transforms. Truth heals and truth transforms. We believe that just bringing biblical truth without listening doesn't show the love of Christ and closes opportunities to changing people's hearts for the gospel. The individual also holds a part in what this implication is for the church. The individual also holds and should hold the church accountable to teaching the truth. If we don't teach the truth, you should come to us. You should come to the you should come to the elders of the church to share your concern. You are the church. You ought to be light as part of the body of Christ. A church that nurtures truth takes care of the orphans and widows. They seek to provide as best as they can to the less fortunate. They seek to improve the lives of those in the community and around them through biblical teaching providing for physical or emotional needs, practically training to uplift and educate those around them. This is, a, this is a church that must be outward focused, focused to make disciples who make disciples, a church who wants to see the multiplying effect of the gospel. This is also the individuals holding the church accountable to being salt and light, to taking care of the community. So if the church is not doing this, if the church is not taking care of orphans and widows, if the church is not um, being a light in the community, the individuals must hold the church accountable. You must come to them, you must come to the elders of the church and ask, what are we doing to reach the orphans and the widows? What are we doing to uplift the community? A truth-telling culture or life calls us to surrender to the truth, for us to be humble and vulnerable to the truth, to let God mold us to having the truth as part of our way of life. The truth should be who we are. As we land the plane, before I pray, I want to read more, one more scripture. Um, this speaks 
to how we can nurture truth for the individual and the church also. So Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus wants us to make disciples. Jesus wants us to share who he is to the world. And in verse 20, Jesus says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth that comes from your word. We thank you that you are truth, you are light, and you are the word. We thank you that you fix our relationship with God, a relationship that was meant to be perfect, that was broken by sin. We thank you that you continue to shine your light in us and through your Holy Spirit, you conform us to your likeness. I pray that your word would remain true in our hearts, even in this week as we, as we do life that through your Holy Spirit, you would engage us on the places or the areas we need to change so that we can have a truth-telling culture or that we can live the truth because we know you, because we know the light. We can't be silent and we can't, we can't sit in silence, but we need to, we need to hear what you say, which is calling us to to live as salt and light where you've placed us. Pray that you continue to stir up in our hearts the practical implications, the actual practical implications of this message so that we can be salt and light where you've placed us. We thank you. We love you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.